Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike Moynihan here, Golden Age of Cardboard podcast this week, every week. Uh, we're getting into late May, in fact, it, we're, by the time you hear this, it'll be less than two months until the National. I couldn't be more jacked about that. I'm pretty excited, uh, mainly to see friends, but also just to see where this market is going. Uh, I'm excited to have opportunities, hopefully, to pick up some great cards, hopefully at cheaper prices, all those things. We shall see, but today is going to be a little bit different. Had a gentleman reach out through BenchClear, through our BenchClear email, and volunteered himself to be on this show. And normally, you know, you take that with a grain of salt because you never know. But I just had a feeling just from a couple of emails with this guy that I wanted to have a conversation with him because he is in a class of collector that's probably like a lot of you out there newer into vintage i just just last week i think what prompted his email was last week talking to don about getting into vintage and how does someone start and so <clears throat> he's relatively new to the vintage era and so i'm going to talk to him about his journey talk to him just have a conversation one collector to another another great conversation so i'm going to bring him in right now adam welcome to the show man Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. So we have not talked other than a couple of email exchanges before right now, right? <laughs> that is absolutely true. Number one rule of broadcasting, know what you're going to do. And I don't. So we're just going to go with it and have a great time talking cards. Because I think no matter how well you know someone, you can always, like if they're in the hobby, it's easy to talk cards in it. I appreciate the trust you've you've put in me here, Mike. But yeah, I'm excited to talk cards and talk about my journey and, and pick your brain some too. Well, I'll give you a time to ask me any questions you want if you have them down the road. But what? let's start with that. Let's start with your journey in collecting overall and then maybe how you got into vintage. Absolutely. So I made some notes so I could keep this brief and, and stay on track. We go all the ba way back to elementary school. And for context... Uh, I'm 58 years old, so that was some time ago. We had this teacher, Mr. Anderson, and uh, he got us into all sorts of cool stuff. And one of those things was stamp collecting. And he would buy these huge packets of stamps. And then he'd let us pay like, you know, quarters, dimes, nickels, whatever, to buy some of them. I, I'm sure he wasn't making any money, but some people were collecting topical stamps or space stamps. So we were learning things through this. And uh, I thought these things are so cool. I think I was born a collector. I think a lot of people are. And so this was an avenue for me to scratch that itch. And also that was around 1975 or 1976. So 
the U.S. was putting out bicentennial commemoratives that were beautiful and colorful. And so those are really interesting to me as well. So I got into stamp collecting and uh, in elementary school. And then we'll fast forward quite a ways here. Graduated from high school in 1982, spent three years in the Army, uh, went to college. And sometime in college, I got serious about stamp collecting. And I started collecting what are called banknotes. Uh, these are stamps from the late 1800s that were issued from by private banknote note companies that contracted with the U.S. government to produce these stamps. And they're pretty interesting. And I put together a really nice, complete uh, used set of banknotes. But sometime around 1990, I sold that stamp collection to a dealer and I got into basketball cards. And that was a time where card shows were popping up and there was a lot of excitement and there was a sense of community around cards that I hadn't felt around stamps. I felt like I was the only stamp collector in the world and I felt like it was a dying hobby. And again, not trying to uh, put down any stamp collectors. That was just, you know, that was where I was at. And um, with cards, there was more liquidity and a better established value range, like a card might be worth $30 to $50, whereas a stamp might be worth $100. But if it had some tiny tear or tiny thin that you could only see with a magnifying glass, then it was worth maybe 10 bucks. Well, that's quite a spread. And this is old, brittle paper, so it's easy to, you know, easy to get damaged. And so that was a factor for me as well. So I got into cards. I was buying uh, basketball packs. I was buying some singles things like Shaq rookies, some Michael Jordan cards, some 1986 Fleer basketball singles. I remember buying an 89 score football factory set. The dealer would have it at $200 at the hobby shop, but if you waited till he came to the to the card show, it was only 100, so I waited. It had two Troy Aikmans in it, and I remember I thought, "Wow, you know, that was one of the big rookies in there. The other was Barry Sanders." And I thought, "Wow, what a what a windfall." But I wanted to do the right thing, so I took it back to the dealer and he checked all the other sets and they just had one Troy Aikman. So I remember, wow, I got these two, two Troy Aikman rookies here. So, so the set uh, had accidentally two Troy Aikmans in it. It accidentally had two Troy Aikmans in it. And, you know, uh, I really only cared about the, the major players. So I never actually checked every card to see if there was some common missing or something. I probably should have, but it actually had two Troy Aikmans in it. Interesting. And, um, so here's the thing, though. I was super picky about condition. And again, if some people are that way and that works for them, that's fine. If they want to collect Gem Mint 10s, that's cool. But for me, it really wasn't about that because grading hadn't even taken off yet. It was like this, I really want to say disorder that I had where I'd pull a card even out of a pack and if it had some minor flaw that, that, I, that I even, you know, wasn't really hardly noticeable except with magnification, I would then not like the card. And I think part of that was because uh, that's how it worked in stamp collecting. You, you know, you inspected these stamps with magnification, looking for tiny little flaws because they made a big difference. Yeah, that and I think your, that was just your what you were used to doing, being that I think, about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was part of it for sure. But another part of it really, I think, was that I had some sort of a you know, some sort of a, um, an issue there that, and I, and it was impacting my collecting. It was stealing some of my joy. And I knew that was something I was going to need to work on. And I had no clue I would eventually get into vintage baseball, but that type of an approach is not going to work in vintage baseball unless you're like uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk, you know, when you've <laughs> exactly. So, um, 
as a as a a testament to my pickiness again nothing to do with with grading i sent a bunch of shack rookies in uh some of them pretty condition sensitive in 2020 to sgc back when you could do the ten dollars a card and about half of them came back tens and the other half pretty much 9.5s and nine so i guess my pickiness pickiness paid off to some degree right good eye so um In the mid-1990s, I get out of college, we have our first child, I take this job in Longview, Washington, and I became enamored with walking to work. I thought that was so cool. Um, but there were two coin shops, that one of them right on the way to work, and the other, I had to go a little bit out of the way, but not much. And that was good news and bad news, because they were so darn convenient. And so I started getting into classic U.S. coins, uh, silver dollars of the late, of the late 1800s, and, and half dollars called bust halves. Uh, because they show a, a bust or headshot shoulders of Miss Liberty from the early 1800s. And so I really got into coins, and, and that was my thing. I loved the history, the art, the nostalgia, uh, the tangible connection to the past. And that's always really been the draw for me with collecting. It's it's always been about the, the history, the art, the nostalgia. You know, it's never been an investment for me, even though I have um, often gained substantial money, and I've also often lost substantial money. It was never about an investment for me. Um, so we have uh, two more children. We're moving for jobs, establishing career. I'm not doing much collecting of cards or coins, partly because we don't really have a lot of discretionary income as we're building our family, and partly because I become disenchanted with the card market. The number of sets are exploding. And again, I'm, I was not at all into vintage cards at that time. It's almost like they didn't exist. I just didn't you know, really think about them because I didn't watch those players. It's weird. I, get uh, it. I totally get that. And that, that's actually a very common sequence of events in a, in a collector life cycle. I've talked about this before, but that makes a lot of sense, Adam. Keep going. I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, of course. Feel free to interject. So so I became a distant enchanted with the card market. The number of sets was exploding. There was this manufactured artificial scarcity is what it felt like to me with, with cards that were really tough to pull, you know, one in a, one in a thousand packs or more uh, and serial numbered cards. And of course this led to higher prices and it felt exploitive to, to me. I felt like I was being exploited and to be open, I was frustrated because I really couldn't play play in that space to the degree that I wanted to. So part of it was my bad attitude and part of it was, was my bad minds. You know, my mindset for sure was off, but that's where I was at. So I figured, you know, I'm pretty much done, um, pretty much done with card collecting for those reasons. And so when did that happen in your life? So that would have been, that would have been like um, around 2000 in that you know, sometime in the in the two thousands, the first first decade there. Okay. So then, um, in the two thousand tens, I got more serious about collecting coins. I had somewhat more money to spend at that point. We did, and I was mostly getting graded U.S. classic silver dollars and halves. However, I also did move back into the card market a little bit. In two thousand eight, uh, BGS started grading star company basketball cards from 1983 to 1986. And that's where you get those early Michael Jordans. And uh, the other major grading services were not grading star cards 
PSA did, but just for a tiny little bit, and then they stopped grading them. So in the 2010s, I actually put together a complete set of Star Jordan cards in pretty high grade. And this was, you know, not an easy thing to do for me because that was stretching my budget. But through a combination of buying, selling, being patient, you know, and saving my money. And over time, I, I did this and put together quite a quite a collection. And then in early 2015, I was still collecting coins at the same time as well. So now I'm collecting Star Company Jordan, Michael Jordan cards, as well as coins. And then in 2015, I sold my Star MJ collection to a dealer. Um, and I believe it was a hasty and bad decision, which, you know, I regret, but um, that's okay. I think we all have stories of, you know, things we sold, we wish we would have hung on to, or things we 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 should have bought that that we didn't buy, that sort of thing. I have a litany of those stories, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my reasoning at the time was that having the two focuses, even though I had completed the, the Star Jordans, but there were other Star cards I, I could have went after, but having the two focuses would dilute my limited resources. And I was anxious to, to complete... Um, an early half dollar set from 1801 to 1836 with some of the major varieties. So this gave me funds to do that. Um, and also, so I will say I regretted it both from a financial as well as a collecting standpoint. From a financial standpoint, because if I had hung on to it longer, I could have sold it for quite a bit more and had you know a lot more money to spend on on other uh, other cards or coins. But from a collector standpoint, because I realized after I sold those cards that I really like those cards. They had meaning to me. And so, you know, I let them go and it's not going to be easy to get them back, especially after the prices exploded. Yeah. So I would also, I watch some sports and I enjoy watching sports, but not that much. I'm really more of a collector. So if I had to choose between watching or collecting, and I know you posed this question at one point, um, I would miss watching but if I had to make a call, uh, I would be a collector rather than a watcher if I had to choose. Okay, let me interrupt and ask you a question because that's I, I have on my notes to ask you as you were talking, are you a sports fan? You know, because it's, it's chicken and the egg, right? Do you love sports and then collecting becomes a natural progression of that love? Or do you just love collecting and maybe you kind of just enjoy sports casually or whatever? Like I'm a passionate sports fan first and foremost and that you know propagates itself in my collecting uh it it just comes out that way which in turn that passion bleeds into the collecting part too so sounds like you weren't a huge sports fan like why basketball why why cards at all just because it was something to collect yeah that's a great question i would say um, I am a sports fan. When we think about, you know, the word fan coming from fanatic, um, even though I am a sports fan, probably not to the same extent as some. Like, for example, I've been watching the basketball playoffs, uh, not all of them. Sometimes I'll watch the, like, 10-minute YouTube recap. Sometimes I'll watch the fourth quarter. Um, but, you know, if, if the team I'm rooting for doesn't win, I might be a little bit bummed out. But, uh, not that much, really. So I would say I'm probably somewhere between a casual fan and a diehard fan. I'm definitely a fan. I follow the NBA. I follow uh, the NFL. 
I'm just starting to follow Major League Baseball a little bit, and I really haven't gotten that much into it. Actually, in the past, I never followed baseball because I thought it was too slow um, and boring. And now I'm realizing maybe it's because I'm older. It's more my speed. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. It's kind of cool that there's it's not just, so to speak, frantic and there's or at least not very often. And there's breaks in the action and there's this buildup, you know, but but when I was younger or before I started getting into vintage baseball, I thought, yeah, who watches baseball? That That's boring. Yeah, suckers like me. <laughs> I, I don't feel that way that now. About, it, it's funny you say that about your if your team you're rooting for loses, you might be like if the Cowboys lose, I'm I don't want to listen to I turn off sports radio. I don't listen to anything till like Wednesday. Because by then they're starting to talk about next week's game. And I'm like, okay, I can I can get into next week's game. And if they win, if they win, I listen to sports radio like all day like i'll turn it on monday because they're talking about recapping the game and what happened and i want to hear everybody's opinions and that i don't do that with baseball because there's just so many games right it's that's kind of pointless and i follow it pretty closely uh but it's weird i can't watch sports anymore live i hate watching sports live um not because of the boredom but I just want to fast forward to the commercials, like a Cowboys game or a Rangers game. You know, they're three hours, whatever ish. So I'll record the game and then I'll go in. Let's say the game starts at seven. I'll go in at nine o'clock and start watching it recorded, having not caught up with what's happening, you know. And then by the end, by in about an hour, I've caught up and I can watch the last little bit live. I can do the last bit live, but it's it's that three hour like I can do I can spend two hours doing other stuff that I need to do and then go watch the game. And I get to fast forward through all the commercials. And it, I don't know, it's kind of a weird way that I watch sports. I don't know how many other people do that. I'm just, I might be the only crazy dude like that, but anyway, keep going. I'm sorry. I digress. Sure. Sure. So, so I'm you your story. I got you off your track. I'm sorry. That's, that's perfectly fine. So, I'm uh, collecting coins, you know, that's my thing. And um, that's going great. And then July of 2020 begins my vintage baseball journey. And I didn't even know it. Uh, I had zero plans to collect vintage baseball cards. I had never collected a baseball, ba baseball card in my life. I'm pretty sure I had never owned one. Um, uh, modern cards, I just, I wasn't interested in them. I can appreciate, you know, them and I appreciate that there are collectors of them and that works for them, but I just had no interest in modern cards. So I figured I was done with card collecting. I never watched baseball except maybe possibly, maybe like the last game of a world series or potentially the last game if a team had a chance to close it out. And so um, here I am, uh, I call it surfing the YouTubes where just kind of going down the rabbit hole and listening to different things on the YouTubes. And so I ended up on this video by a YouTuber talking ball cards where he shows his, he has a lot of vintage. I think he has mostly vintage. Actually, he may have some modern stuff, uh, but he's got football, baseball, basketball, and he's showing these vintage cards. And I'm thinking, Oh, those are, you know, those are kind of cool. Who did and, you say? Cause my, my uh, internet kind of hiccup there. Who did you say you were watching down the rabbit? Oh, road? sure. Uh, talking ball cards. Yep. Yep. Okay. He says paparazzi. I don't recall what his name is, but he says paparazzi here. And 
So he sub, he submits a lot for grading. He has a lot of grading reveals that he he goes over, uh, whether it's PSA, SGC, or or other companies. And so he's showing off these vintage cards. I'm like, oh, those are kind of cool. These vintage baseball cards. And he gets to he has a few '56 tops cards. I don't remember who, but he's showing the cards. And when he's showing the front of the cards, that's kind of cool. When he shows the back of the cards with a three panel cartoon on the '56 tops. And I'm like, that is so cool. And I just got, and I'm not trying to be melodramatic here. I'm just trying to describe my experience. No. Okay. Like, I'm like, I've got to have one of those. Like out of the blue, I've got to have a vintage baseball card. I've got to have a 56 tops card. I know nothing. Now I have some uh, card collecting experience. So that's definitely helpful. You know, I know about grading companies, although I don't think I even knew that BVG existed for, for vintage cards, but I know about BGS, PSA, SGC, so I have some, you know, some experience, but I know nothing about vintage baseball. And you have a working knowledge of cards, of the card world, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and also I've got this pickiness thing going on too. And I'm, I pretty quickly pick up on, well, these are cards that are like close to 70 years old. So that could be a problem for you, Adam. <laughs> so uh, my plan is simple. It's like, I'm going to get one 1956 tops card and that's it and then i'm going to be done collecting vintage baseball cards that was the plan and i'm not going to spend too much on it either because i wanted to save my money for uh coins which was you know my my collecting focus and so i didn't know who to buy so i get online i find out there's like 342 cards i think in the 56 top set and there's like 34 hall of famers if you don't count the white back gray back variations and i thought well I knew Hall of Famers were good. I didn't even know much about the Hall of Fame, but I knew, you know, that was good. So I thought, well, I'll get a Hall of Famer that has a cool cartoon that I like that doesn't cost too much. So I do my internet research and I end up with, I end up getting my first vintage card. It's a BVG5 Hoyt Wilhelm that I got for $22. <laughs> and uh, I remember, I'm, I'm like you, Mike, I don't like to overpay. I'm willing to pay comps. I have no problem making offers that I think are reasonable. I'm willing to walk away. Um, sometimes I'll pay a little more for something than, than maybe I should if I really want it. But as a general rule, I will, you know, I will just pass uh, rather than pay what I think is, I'm happy to pay fair market value, but I will generally just pass rather than pay, you know, more than I think it's worth. Um, so I got this for $22. And I remember, and it was off center a fair amount let's see we are talking about um 54 tops or 56 tops excuse me here we go i don't know how well this shows up but there it is my first ever vintage baseball card that doesn't look too bad to me in terms i mean it's it's not centered great but it's not terrible either so and uh, on the back, and it's got the first panel, it's like this sinusoidal wave, this pitch is coming in because Hoyt Wilhelm was known for the his knuckleballers, his knuckleballs. So this pitch is coming in on this sine wave, and the batter's holding his head perplexed, like, how in the world am I supposed to hit that? And I thought, that is so cool. And the other two panels are pretty cool, too. And And the thing is, I didn't mind off-center because with my pickiness, uh, my thinking was that, well, they come out of the pack off center. So, you know, that's, 
that's not damage or wear, that's just how it's manufactured. So I was really more into, are the corners sharp? You know, the surface looks nice. And so I was worried I might not like it because of my pickiness. But when I got it, I was like, I just love it. Is it off center? Absolutely. But, um, but it's sharp. Other than being off center, it's really sharp. So I thought mission accomplished. I have successfully completed my, you know, my full run of vintage baseball cards, which is one 1956 tops Hall of Famer <laughs> grade because I like graded cards. Um, by the way, since then, I have changed a little bit and I'm happy about this. I'm, I'm not, I'm still a work in progress, of course, but I'm not quite as picky about other elements and I'm a little more careful on centering. I still prefer sharpness and, and color over centering, but I generally avoid cards that are too far off center. I don't mind if they're somewhat. So I've, I've changed my tune some and I, I think that's been, been good for me. So, so I thought, okay, I'm done collecting vintage baseball, you know, um, because I want to spend my, spend my money on coins. And I think it was a couple of days later that it hit me, Mike, and it was this, this visceral uh, gut feeling. And it was like, I've got to have a, a 1956 Topps Mickey Mantle. And, and the reason it, it was this visceral gut feeling is because I knew that would be a stretch for my budget because I knew I'd have to go, you know, and again, I still didn't. I was used to when I did collect cards, you know, getting maybe eights or nines or possibly tens. Um, but uh, I wasn't used to uh, playing in the world of of twos or threes or fours or fives for grades. So this was this was new to me. And I knew I'd have to at least be up there, maybe five or six uh, in terms of a grade for me to be happy with the card, at least at that point in my journey. I now do have uh some lower graded cards like twos and threes, a few in my collection. But anyway, I go online and I start looking and um, I found a guy and I negotiated with him and I got this excellent five and boy, is it sharp. It's off center top to bottom. It actually has a PWCCA sticker on the, the back for above average and you know, I don't necessarily care about their stickers, but I think they do a good job of uh, if, if they put a sticker on a card, it usually is pretty darn nice for for the grade. And so, so many questions, so many questions. Oh, go ahead. I can I can stop if, if you let no, me. Wrap I, no, I, I love the story and I and I want to interject a question of. Um, why that card that visceral reaction to the mantle which oh by the way is one of his best cards period uh, is that and one of the best cards ever is the 56 tops mickey mantle i mean it's just so cool uh mickey smiling you know it's just great but you did it at the worst time ever like july 2020 <laughs> when you start collecting vintage i'm like oh my gosh this guy's buying or getting into it and loving it at the time when things cost the most they've ever cost. So how did you balance that? How'd you go, okay, I want this mantle. Why did you want the mantle? And then how did you reconcile to, I guess you didn't know any comparison. You didn't know any better, right? Cost-wise. Yeah, well, I did not know any better cost-wise. So when I was checking prices, you know, all I knew is these are current market prices. I didn't, 
know the history. I knew the card market in general was kind of taking off, but vintage, there was sort of a lag, you know, in the price of vintage cards taking off as opposed to modern cards. I agree. So I was, getting, I was getting in at the worst possible time, at least in that regard. I didn't know it. What has seen me through is that, um, is that I've, you know, I'm developing a passion for this. So I'm like, okay, it's kind of a bummer that prices are going up, but you know what? Uh, whether prices are going up or prices are going down, I'm still going to pursue what I'm passionate about. That might mean that I don't make purchases as often or that I go for lower grades, um, but I'm still going to continue to pursue what I'm passionate about. Love it. I love that attitude. That's, And I think that's, if you're a collector, that's an appropriate attitude. You know, again, I'm not against people making money in the hobby. It's just if that's your primary concern, you're just going to end up being disappointed, I think, in the long run. Right. I think I can, I think I can say that if all the cards in my collection and well, I have coins still too, but I'll set that aside. If all the cards in my collection, you know, went down to 10% of their present value. And of course I wouldn't wish that because I know that would, that would be problematic for a lot of people that, that need that stored wealth. But if it did happen, I mean, I don't know that I would, I might be a lot more happy about it just personally than unhappy because I could go out and <laughs> buy more cards that are either out of my range or I could just get more cards for the same, you know, same amount of money. So um, I don't wish that that would happen, but if it did, I would, I don't think I would be really bummed out because I still like these cards. I think I would actually say, well, this is pretty awesome. Let's go. Let's go buy some more cards here. Yeah, and I, I share that. I don't want it to be that way, to necessarily just to have the market crash. But the reality is, I have no control over it, and so I'll be a collector whether they're worth half what they are. Tim, like you said, ten percent or what? They, I don't really care. I've collected when they weren't worth anything too. You know what I mean? So I didn't do it ever for that reason. It's nice that they have value. Um, I don't want them to be worthless. That's not my point. And I, uh, but I think you can walk that line of, it, cause I, I heard somebody, I think it was, if you watch Dave Blue Jacket 66, he's one of my favorites. I've seen some of his videos. Yeah. He, he said in his, one of his most recent videos that anyone who says they don't care about the value of their cards is lying. And I, I actually agree with that. I do care about the value of my cards and yet I want things to go down. Is that a weird dichotomy that I'm sure that I have that I, um, I, I do care that they have value and I don't care what that value is today. I guess that's probably the more accurate way to describe how I feel about it. Um, yeah, it's weird. I, I get, I, so I'm, I'm feeling you, man. I'm feeling you, Adam. I get it. So, so yeah. Going. So why did I get the 56 mantle as my second vintage baseball card, knowing not much about vintage baseball cards? Well, I knew that there's a couple of things. One is I knew mantle was big in the hobby. I mean, I figured that out pretty quickly. I didn't really understand why you've helped me understand why you've made it clear that mantle's the king of the vintage baseball hobby, not necessarily the best player ever, but he's clearly the king of the vintage baseball card hobby. No doubt. I had no doubt. some sense of that. As I was going through the 56 Tops Hall of Famers online and, and looking at the card fronts and the card backs, uh, you know, the mantle really appealed to me. 
It's just that um, it was totally, totally uh, not within the goal that I had for myself, which is get one Hall of Famer where you like the cartoons, you like the card, and don't spend very much money. You know, I didn't really have a price limit, but maybe 50 bucks or less, I ended up spending 22 and uh, save your money for coins. So that was my mindset. So as I went through and looked at the Hall of Famers uh, for 56 tops, I definitely liked the mantle and I thought, wow, you know, but, and I thought the cartoons were really cool on the back too, but it's like, yeah, I'm not going there. That's not, that's not my goal here. And so it was almost like in my subconscious mind, you know, I think I'm done collecting vintage baseball cards, but my subconscious mind is chewing on vintage baseball cards. And it's like, it tells me a couple days later through this visceral reaction, uh, you need a 1956 Topps Mickey Mantle. And it hit me and I'm like, you know, I really want one. So I got one. I was really afraid I wouldn't like it again because of the pickiness issue. But I think I had mellowed with age a little more than I had expected. And I think also I was starting to change because I I was maybe, you know, real, realizing that, hey, if I want to pursue vintage baseball, this is going to have to give somewhat. And let me just say that I've grown to the point where I still have a tough time with corners that are rounded much, but I've grown to a point where um, I can appreciate a little bit of wear and even even see that it adds character character to a card. So I think I still have some room for growth there for sure. But but I've made some some very positive strides, um, and I'm happy about that. Um, anyway, without saying more about that at this time, so I get the card. The only collectors of cards that I know. I have a brother-in-law and a sister, not the sister married to my brother-in-law, but um, my brother-in-law collects some modern cards and sports memorabilia, and my sister has collected uh, some cards. And so you would think I was a new father. I tell them, and they happen to, I have two sisters living together. The living situation is is a couple of families uh, together. And so they happen to live at the same place and say, hey, I've got something I have to show you. And I won't tell them. I'm so excited about it. I won't tell them what it is. And I go over there and I do the big reveal, my 56 tops Mickey Mantle. And I mean, you would think that I was just, I mean, it's a fantastic card. And I understand now better uh, that it has an important place in the vintage uh, baseball card hobby. But you would think that, you know, I was showing them the holy grail of holy grails. I was just on cloud nine, you know, like you've got to see this. My brother-in-law thought it was pretty cool. So that that's neat. That is awesome. And okay. so... Yeah. And so from there, uh, that was at that point, I realized, OK, I'm going to be collecting some vintage baseball cards. But, um, you know, what about the coins? Because I still have a passion for coins and without going into all of those details. And so I'm like, well, you know, we'll see where this journey takes me. So where it's taken me over the last couple of years is I've bought very few coins. I've sold some of my coins as well as some modern cards that I I had around in order to uh, help finance my vintage uh, baseball card purchases. And, and the way my wife and I work it out is I have a monthly hobby budget and I'm happy about it because, um, you know, I think it's a reasonable amount based on our other priorities. So together with that and selling some of the coins. And so I don't know what I'm going to do with the coins. I haven't been actively pursuing coins for a while. It's possible I may uh, only keep certain key ones and eventually liquidate the rest to turn into vintage baseball. It's possible I eventually sell them all. One thing I've discovered with vintage baseball is 
These are big and colorful compared to coins, which are small and one metal color. And you generally have to, uh, you know, really to see them, you have to uh, magnification and to display them in my mind. Anyway, they don't display in the same way that you can display cards. So um, I'm finding, you know, again, I'm on this journey and I'm not sure exactly where, where I'm going to land at this point. I'm up to, Ironically, I have exactly 100 baseball cards. I didn't know that, but I did a little prep for this show. 95 that I would call vintage and five that are 1987 uh, Barry Bonds cards. They're all, you know, all 100 are graded. So I guess it's 95 out of 100 that are vintage. Um, So uh, where I think I'm headed is I'm either going to keep, keep, uh, a couple of coin sets that are really meaningful to me. And then my future is vintage baseball, or I may eventually uh, liquidate all of my coins, but I'm in no rush. Um, it's actually kind of nice to have coins there because I can say, Hey, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm okay without this coin. I think I'd rather have uh, a particular vintage baseball card. So that gives me some more funds to play with. So it's, it's nice to have, it's almost like having a, a piggy bank, even though obviously I have to do a little work to convert it into cash. And, and also let me just say really quickly that along the way I have sold some cards because sometimes I got cards I didn't necessarily care for, uh, or as I kind of have been growing in my collecting journey, it's like, yeah, I, I don't really need these so much. These were some of my earlier purchases or I don't need, you know, uh, yeah, I've got one card of this player and that's good for now. So I'm uh, growing and learning. And so that's kind of the the long-winded intro right there. Welcome to the marathon, my friend. Welcome to the marathon. Uh, It is amazing to hear a story like that. I'm sitting here just grinning ear to ear listening to you talk about this because very uh, childlike enthusiasm, which I love. And (laughs) it makes me love it even more hearing you tell the story. So, so many questions for you after that. I don't even know where to start. My first thing. Okay. So you you started, you went down this rabbit hole on YouTube, right? And you, you found talking ball cards and then you obviously found my show somehow through your, YouTube, some suggested list or something like that. And you're like, who's this whack job, right? Probably. Um, I, I got really excited when I had seen your some of your baseball collector videos. And when you started the, the first episode of Golden Age of Cardboard, I got really excited about that because it had this awesome nostalgic feel to me, but also because I just said, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be a really good series for, for me to enjoy and, and glean from. And you told me this before, so I'm not saying anything you haven't said. I'm not trying to lead you to an answer, but you said you've learned a lot by watching YouTubers and, and listening to podcasts or whatever. What kinds of stuff do you think you've picked up that's helped you the most? So I came up with a list of nine things. It just happened to be nine. And then, you know, at the risk of putting you on the spot, um, I thought, you know, a list should be, t- if it's going to be nine, it should be 10. So I thought, well, maybe Mike will, will throw on number 10 for me to put on my list, uh, whether right. it relates to one of the nine or not. So I'll just kind of say each one really quickly. And then of course, give you, you know, time it, it's your show, but give you time to comment or whatever before going on to the next one. 
these these are in no particular order. Uh, num- and in some of these, by the way, Mike, I'll tell you that in some of them, I hear your voice speaking. So uh, number one, um, like watch your budget. Don't go into debt. Don't get yourself in financial trouble uh, while you're pursuing your hobby. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like me. Okay, keep going. <laughs> uh, number number two, learn. Learn from others. Learn from books. Uh, for example, YouTube, uh, et cetera. Yeah, there's, I think I've said this last week that people are, I feel like sometimes afraid to ask questions or they don't want to look like they don't know anything. And that that's not fair. How can you know till you know, right? How, and, how do you not learn by, by not asking questions that that makes no sense to me? Uh, I'm the first guy, but I'm a different guy. Like I'll go into the grocery store and if I don't know where something is, I'm going to find somebody to ask where it is. Where's the you know, peas or I don't know, whatever you're looking for. I don't wander around aimlessly like many men do. Like we're, we're prone to that. (laughs) So I go in, all right, where are we going? What do we need? Where is this? You know? And so I I guess you have to have an inquisitive mind. Hopefully collectors seem to, you know, they seem to want to learn. And so that's awesome that, yeah, always learning. I'm, I'm always learning 40, whatever years I'm always learning. And if I could interject something here, even though we're only on number two, um, I watched your latest video this morning and I must confess, I mean, I may have watched it anyway, but I must confess, I said, hey, if I'm going to be on with Mike, I should watch his latest video before I go on. The one where you were showing them uh, the um, memorabilia based on uh, war, the winds above replacement. So I have a question for you because... I teach college math, so I looked up and I saw there was a wins above replacement formula, one for positional players, one for pitchers. And so, you know, of course I can do math, but really that's not my question. I'm trying to understand what it means. Like if a war is 100, that means 100 war wins than an average player over what span of time, over a career, or how am I to enter their career? In that case, over their career. They calculate war literally every day. You can... You can add to your war or take away from your, you can actually have negative war too, meaning you're not as good as the average guy or whatever. And so, yeah, that I mentioned that was their career What the war, the winds of a replacement they had accumulated over their entire career, which can be 10 years or 20 years or 15, whatever. So, so correct you're me. A, you're ahead. a college math professor, just so everybody knows, like he, he can do math. Adam can do math. I promise. Okay, go ahead. So, so um, if a player had a war of 100, and correct me if I'm wrong, for their career, would that mean that it's an estimate, it's a measure, it's not, you know, a guarantee, but that's an estimate suggesting that if the average player had played instead of them over their career, uh, that player with the war of 100 won 100 more games than the average player would have won. Is that kind of the idea or am I... I'm far from a war expert. Let me make that caveat incredibly clear. But what I understand is, well, maybe I'm wrong. I was going to say, and I, again, I, somebody in the comments of the YouTube video will correct me. I, I probably need to study up a little bit on war as well. But uh, understanding that if you had nine guys of that guy, how many more wins would you have over the course of the season? If you had nine of that per layer, but I, I don't I know see. that I'm right on that. Um, 
the the truth is like the average hall of famer has a war of around 70 for their career okay uh and so when i talk about babe ruth having a war of hold on i got it right here because i did the video today uh 182 you know that's significantly better than even your average hall of famer much less your average player over their career uh so a yeah it's it's a weird stat it just a lot of the what i use it to is compare these old guys with current players because it's it's comparing them to the average player of their time not you're not comparing a player from 1912 to a player in 2022 uh in terms of computing war right so the key thing we're getting out of it essentially is how much better they are than the average player at that position at that time at that time so thank you so number th number three and i really hear your voice in this you know be patient most of these cards we're, we are collecting are not rare you're going to have other opportunities yep have you put that to practice have you found that to be true I think, you know, I was thinking about grading myself on these and um, I would say I've done pretty well on that. Of course, for me, like, because, you know, there's a lot of, I've, most of my cards are from the fifties. I'm starting to dabble in the sixties. I have a few pre-war. I think maybe I have one card from the seventies. So there's so much that I don't have. And I don't even know yet, you know, how large I want this collection to necessarily be or, or how much that matters. But um, for me, there, you know, there's opportunity everywhere because there are so many cards I don't have that, that are interesting to me, uh, desirable Great. to me. So, so that I guess is an advantage of sorts, but what I tend to do, I have this philosophy I call, let the cards come to me. You know, when the right card comes, it's got some nice pictures. I, I really like the look of it and I'm able to get it for uh, for a price that I like, either because I'm not afraid to offer, you know, much lower if if there's a best offer and I think the fair market value is much lower, or, or if I just win it for uh, a fair market value price at auction or or below. Um, so that's there are are there cards I'm targeting, of course, but for the most part, I'm waiting for the cards to come come to me because I feel like I stretch my hobby dollars much better by doing it that way by getting a card that where I really like the look of it and I like the price and I let it come to me as opposed to trying to force it and it takes discipline and sure there are times when you know when when I have failed at that discipline but but not too often at this point I'm I'm pretty good about disciplining myself yeah no one can be perfect at that but it's just something wise to tell yourself as you're you know, getting caught up in an auction or something. You're like, okay, there's plenty. Like, could, have you been to a card show before? I've been, I've been to card shows before recently. I live in Oregon city, which is not too far from Portland, Oregon, like maybe an hour out roughly. So, uh, you know, recently I went to a card show. In fact, my brother-in-law had a table for the first time. It was pretty cheap. Just, just to we, we don't have any intention of being show dealers. We just thought, let's give it a try and see what we learn and, you know, have a good time, meet some people. Yeah. And um, so, yes, I have been to card shows. However, uh, this card show that I went to did not have much vintage baseball. And I've actually never, that I can recall, been to a card show that had a lot of vintage baseball. It's possible when I was younger, I went to a show and I was focused on the more modern stuff. And maybe there was some vintage baseball there that I, I just 
didn't, you know, just walked right by. Well, that's where it takes a lot of patience because you have a lot to choose from. And usually, uh, if your experience was different, you, as you, as you go to more shows over time, it'll, hopefully that'll change for you where you just go, okay, what do I really want? You know, you got to make decisions like we all do. All right. Do I want this today or that today? Or, you know, so I fail at that too, by the way. So, and I think kind of where I've landed, I started, you know, after I got the two 1956 tops cards and I realized, okay, prices are pretty high here and I was still buying some coins. Um, so I started going after some of the Yankees contributors because I thought, you know, those are pretty reasonably priced. Uh, people like Gene Woodling or Hank Bauer or Eddie Lopad. And so, you know, things like maybe a 52 Tops card or a 52 Bowman. And so I got some of these Yankee contributors. And then after a while, I thought, you know, I should start to get some Hall of Famers. And then I realized, you know, for these, just for me, for these Yankee contributors, I don't necessarily need need a bunch of their cards. Um, you know, maybe for the contributors, I just need one or two and I can focus more on Hall of Famers. And if I'm just going to get one or two cards of, say, someone like Eddie Lopat, maybe something like 52 or 53 tops makes sense because I just think those are really cool sets. Um, so I guess I'm, sure. I'm not necessarily, at this point, it's like there's a lot of sets I think I like. For example, uh 1965 tops. I don't own one. I mean, I could go out and buy one, but again, it's about the priorities you were talking about that I have a lot of cards that I would like to buy and, and a 65 tops card doesn't necessarily rise to the top right now. Um, but I'm kind of as a starting point, you know, it's nice if I can get at least one card from various sets that I like, that's a nice starting point. And it's also nice if I can get at least one card of each uh, Hall of Famer. And as far as like Lou Gehrig uh, and Babe Ruth, their playing day cards are, you know, pretty much out of my budget. So I have enjoyed getting some of their uh, vintage cards, but not playing days. And and to me, I actually think there's a lot of value there. And when I say value, I'm talking about collector value, not investor value. I mean, maybe there, maybe there's investor value. Maybe they'll go up, maybe they'll go down, but I'm not talking about that at all. I think there's a lot of collector value because I'm not spending that much for a vintage card of Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig. And to me, that seems like some real value as a collector. I think you're, I think you're on to something there. And so okay, uh, number, number four, collect what you like. Yep. Uh, Number five, buy the card, not the grade. Um, and I know we're only going to have so much time together. So uh, obviously I'm not going to be showing, even though I have this uh, relatively new collector enthusiasm, I'm pretty sure uh, we're not going to have the time uh, for you to say, sure, Adam, show us each one of your 95 cards. So I want to show you one here that I'm really stoked about. And this was buy the card, not the grade. Uh, at some point I was like, you know, I'd like to have uh, one of kind of the, I guess you could call it Holy Grail or at least one of those like, you know, Mount Rushmore of, ba of vintage baseball type cards. And I was like, well, you know, 52 tops is kind of kind of out of the question, 
even uh, 51 or 52 tops mantle is kind of out of the question or even 52 tops Willie Mays, uh, that sort of thing. So I said, okay, I'm gonna target. Yeah. yeah, so I said, I'm gonna target, uh, you know, the Hank Aaron and, and even that, I was like, okay, even in a really low grade, that's gonna be quite a stretch for me. That's gonna mean doing some savings, selling some things, but I'd like to go after that. So I saw this, this PSA one in the pictures, I looked at the pictures and I'm like, that's the nicest PSA one I've ever seen. It really looks like a five to me. I mean, I, I'm imagining it is a one. There's some reason it's a one, but just looking at it, it looks gorgeous. And the pictures were pretty sharp. And, but the guy wanted like a seller in Canada. He wanted like five grand. I don't remember the exact amount. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And then he put it on sale for like uh 3,600. And I'm like, yeah, not for one. I think I offered him two grand, but I don't remember. And ultimately we agreed on 2,600, which I actually thought was um, pretty high for a PSA one, but because I like the look of this card so much um, and I wish that uh, I was able to, I actually have a projector. We could maybe get a little better image, but this card is so ridiculously gorgeous uh, for a PSA one, it's a little off center, side to side. It's got a tiny bit of corner wear. The color is just fresh. Um, and looking at the back of it, the color, I mean, it is just so sharp. And I'm like, this is the, I'm inclined to think this is the nicest PSA one, at least that I have ever seen. There's no print marks or anything. So I get this card and I'm like, you know, there's gotta be something wrong with it. Right. Um, no pinhole okay. uh, that I have found, but what it is, uh, is it's just a little warped and it's hard to see if you, if you uh, hold it in the right lighting in an angle, you can tell the cards just a little bit warped. And I think maybe somebody had it in like a, a nine pocket plastic sleeve and maybe, Maybe that warped it, but you know, you can easily miss it. So I'm like, wow, this is perfect. I mean, this card just presents, you know, like I say, I think just to look at it, you're, you're like, looks like a five to me. So I'm really stoked about that. I, I think, you know, I overpaid as far as getting a PSA one, but um, I wanted the card. I wanted a nice looking one. And so that was definitely an example of me saying, you know, I really don't care so much about the price. I really want this card and I'm going to buy the card, not the grade. It, it's worth it to me, even if I'm overpaying. So I'm really stoked about that. Okay. Awesome. I, I love it. Never bad time to buy a Hank Aaron rookie ever. That's what okay. those back pages says, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> and I so mean, Eric say that. A lot. Yeah. Number six. Uh, yes. And I've heard you say it is as well, I believe. Um, number six, connect with others in the community. You know, I will confess, I would have given myself a failing grade, but now I'm on the golden age of cardboard cardboard podcast. I think that's a giant step in the right direction. <laughs> it is. Uh, number seven, this, I really hear your voice. Uh, negotiate, don't pay sticker price. You can walk away. N number eight, I have not tried this yet, but I, I've... I know that you have done it like at the national or maybe other shows, like when you went after your 53 uh, Bowman, Mickey Mantle, confer with others on big purchases. 
Yes, that's super helpful because I, you know, we get emotional about it, right? And it's easy to get caught up in the moment and, oh, I really want this. But I've had people talk me off the ledge before and like, hey, you know, uh, don't don't do that or or hey, are you sure? Uh, and that worked out for me when I got the 53 Bowman mantle uh, really well. I ended up getting a card I'm much happier with uh, for less money. So it's like that's a win win. And uh, yeah, definitely. And but that's the thing. You got to build that network. Right. And this is part of that, Adam. You're talking to me and. You know, you, you can shoot. Hey, I'm looking at this. What do you think? And I wouldn't say I'm never I'm always excited to see other people get cards. So if I said, hey, are you sure about it? Like, I don't think that's a good deal. It's not because I don't want you to have the card. Just maybe not that one. Or I think it's too high or, hey, are you going to be happy with this? And it's mainly just to make you think at the end of the day, it's your decision. But we all need to be prompted to, OK, think about it for a little bit. You know, walk around the block, sleep on it kind of attitude to make sure. And uh, so, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So I have and, to come up with number 10 in a second. And I've got nine. I've got nine yet. But let me just say, and I'm totally open to that type of, I guess you could say, constructive feedback because partially because I think I'm pretty good about being patient, but also because, you know, I value those who have more experience than me and, and just they have a differing viewpoint and they're not as emotionally invested in the, in the deal. So before I say number nine, I know we've, we've kind of just to make this abundantly clear. It's not like I'm the one that came up with these nine. These are things that I gleaned from, from you, Mike, and from others in the YouTube community. So these things that I have learned, um, okay, maybe I knew some of it from having some card collecting history, but these are things that I've learned from the YouTube communities community. So it's incredibly how valuable. And I mean, and, and I have a lot more to learn too. So, it, and I don't claim that I have mastered all of these things. Like I do them perfectly all the time, but these are things I've learned from the YouTube community that are, that are really well worth paying attention to. And so number nine, um, ensure your collection, take security measures, just make sure that you've got, you know, you've got yourself covered there just in case something catastrophic happens. And even if it doesn't, for the peace of mind. Yeah, I mean, most people don't know this, but this room is surrounded by uh, barbed wire fence. I've got claymores ready to trip wires, <laughs> ready to, you know, destroy people and howitzer, you know, locked and loaded. Yeah. No, uh, but yeah, <laughs> you know, if you have a lot of money into something, no matter what it is, you want it to be protected, you know, and it's yours. So, that's definitely something I would tell any collector to do. And regardless of your collection size and your insurance coverage will grow as your collection grows, you know, just adjust it accordingly. Yes. And in my case, it's covering cards and coins. So if my, you know, over time, I think it's pretty safe to say my coins will become a smaller percentage of my portfolio, if you want to call it that, or my collection, but I still need the coverage. Yeah. But you can clump those together with the, company that, ins that with collect insure at least the company i use i have my cards my comics and my guns all under one policy and I i'm with collect insure as well and yeah they're all under the same so that makes it really nice then i don't have to worry about i don't have to worry about that it's it's uh so there are my nine and so um if you give me a number 10 and i've already gleaned some of these from you i will put it on the list 
December 10. I, I want to make it a nice round number. Um, maybe uh, don't be afraid to make a mistake. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Because uh, you can always either resell the card or, you know, upgrade or whatever down the road, right? Absolutely. Thank you. That is going on my list. You're going to be happy because I'll have a nice round 10. And, and I'll be happy too because actually I also think 10 is better, better than 9. <laughs> well, I am uh, – th this has been a joy, Adam. I really appreciate hearing your story. Uh, do you have any questions for me real quick before we go? We've been over an hour, so I try to be cognizant of people's time and – that kind of thing. I, but I don't mind talking a couple extra minutes. So, sure. So I'll just ask a couple uh, for the sake of time. One is, um, even though I realize what we collect is is a personal, um, you know, a personal choice, and eventually it's possible I'll do some Hall of Famer runs of certain sets like 1954 tops. It's just I don't know that I've progressed that far yet. I still have sets I don't even have a card from. So you know, but I'm getting there. Um, yeah. If you have a few card recommendations for me, not what I would call maybe not best investment buys, because I'm not concerned if they go down or up, but best collecting buys, like, wow, you're really getting a great card for the money in this market in terms of either who it is or the or just the 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 beauty of the card or the mix of players. And I was thinking if you gave me two or three. Uh, I would choose at least one of them and, and pursue it within the next couple of months as part of my uh, journey. Well, since I don't know the 95 cards you have in your collection, I'm going to throw some out there and you say, oh, I've already got that or whatever, But that's and that's fine. Uh, either of the 54 tops Ted Williams cards? I've got one, the 250, I think it is, but I don't have number one. Yeah, he's number one and number 250. 250 is the orange one, which is great. One is a yellow card. Um, or is it the other way around? Let's see. I think I think I've got the uh I've got the yellow one, the 250, the okay, 250 yellow. is the last card. All right. And number one is that's a great card. Uh okay. So you got some Williams stuff in your collection. That's awesome. This is my only Ted Williams card, but <laughs> hey, if you're going to have one, that's a great one to have. Uh, what about maybe the 58 tops all-star Stan Musial is a great card or his 63 tops. You, one. you know, what's crazy. This is the only 58 card I have. The yeah. <laughs> I think the triple printed Stan Musial. Musial. You listening. He's, he's showing the Musial all-star card, which is was, was Musial's first tops card, by the way. That's one of the reasons I got it too. Plus yeah. it's so cool. Brilliant. Um, see, you're already, <laughs> what do you have in Campanella or Jackie Robinson or guys like that? The, the only Jackie Robinson card that I have is his 56, uh, tops okay. and this has this has the coveted pwccs superior sticker on it so i mean i know it's a bvg which often they're sometimes at least they're overgraded but i'm like this thing feels way undergraded to me at least it's gorgeous gorgeous for the grade but that's my only uh, jackie robinson card 
Okay, that's a good one. That's his last tops card, as a matter of fact. Um, wow. Uh, okay, Campanella. Do you have anything Campanella? I have zero Campanella. Okay, 53 tops Campanella. Or his 51 Bowman is a great card. Do you have any... I mean, I know you're kind of starting to get in the 60s, you said. Yeah, my getting in the 60s, uh, I've got in the 60s a few of the 68 tops, um, like I've got a 68 tops Frank Robinson. I just love those 68 tops. Um, but let's see here. This, you know, other than that, I don't really have much at all in the 60s. I do have the... Uh, the Lou Gehrig 62 tops, uh, Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth, yeah. Babe Ruth, which I know is one of your favorite cards. I have the green tint. That's a gorgeous card. And then I have a green tint of the Babe Ruth in a low grade. Uh, I've got the uh, power plus, plus tops, yeah. of Hank Aaron and Ernie Banks. But basically, I have very little, very little in the 60s. Um, dang it, I should have written it down. I just thought of another card. And I, it just escaped me. Oh, pisser. I was listening to you two intently. <laughs> I couldn't Sorry about uh, that. No, no, no. I, it's a good problem. Let me think. Wow. This is great radio right here. Doing this. Uh, gosh, so many. You, you know can what? also email it to me if you want. Uh, and if you guys are out there watching on YouTube, put down some suggestions, some cards. Uh, for Adam to pursue in this awesome journey that he's on just things that you think he should take a look at. Uh, and I bet you get some pretty good suggestions from the folks out there, Adam, as they, as they watch this. Oh, it's killing me because it was a really good card and making me angry that I don't remember what it was. Uh, Cause we were talking about Campanella and then I was going to talk about, you know, bench and Ryan you know, you, getting their 69 cards, not necessarily their rookies, although their rookies are great. Their 69s are their first solo cards, and they're just so cool. You got Ben just crouching, you know, in his 69, and Nolan sitting there looking. Those are great. Uh, golly. I'll think of it. Maybe I'll think of it. I'll ask you a question and then think about it. I got two, actually two questions that we finish up here. Number one. Where do you find most of your cards? Like, where do you do most of your purchasing? Is it through eBay? Is it uh, Facebook Marketplace? I mean, just where do you where do you hunt? And then uh, the second question. Well, answer that question first, and I'll ask my other question in a minute. Sure. Uh, pretty much exclusively uh, eBay. I've been to this local card show a couple times, but they really haven't. I'm going after graded. They really haven't had any graded vintage to speak of. Um, uh, I have looked at heritage, heritage auctions where I've gotten coins in the past and I've been in a few things, but I, I haven't actually won any vintage baseball from them. So pretty much exclusively eBay at this point. Okay. There are some great auction houses out there. Uh, they're a great place to get stuff. The deals there have kind of dried up, honestly, over the last few years because more and more people are aware of it. And so you just have, it used to be nobody looked at the auction houses so you could get great deals but the reality is that's changed and i i've bought very little from auction houses honestly since the pandemic because 
I look all the time. It's just I'm not pulling the trigger because I can buy it cheaper or close to the same price on eBay and just easier, you know. Uh, I remember the card I wanted to suggest to you. And if you watch me enough, you'll know what it is. It's my favorite card of all time. Do you know what my favorite card of all time is? I thought it was. I, wrong on this. I thought it was a Lou Gehrig uh, 33 Gaudi, maybe. or Lou Gehrig's my favorite player of all time. But I would okay. say my favorite card oh, of all time. Let me guess. Can I take one more guess? Yeah, sure. And I don't have this card. Is it the Killebrew Maze Mantle card? No, that's a great card. 68 top superstars. The 53 Bowman Color Pee Wee Reese. Okay. It is a work of art. It is unbelievable. Where that, he's jumping up. He's up in the air. Yeah. Challenge laid. Gauntlet laid <laughs> for you. To, but you again you gotta love it like don't just buy it and that's the thing don't i don't ever buy cards because someone tells me to buy it you know i buy it because i want it and you mentioned that in your list you know buy what you like if you look at that card and you study it and you're like oh yeah that's super cool don't buy it because mike said it was cool or anyone else because then you then you won't appreciate it long like you won't won't mean anything to you now i have so many stories with different cards that i bought because of the experience that went into buying that card, somebody helping me find it or, but it always started with me wanting the card, right? I want this particular card. So well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that, Mike. And here's kind of what I was thinking because, because there's so many cards that I'm interested in that I don't yet have. I thought that if you gave me maybe a handful, it was pretty likely I'd find something on that list that I would, I would really like. And so therefore I would pursue it. There you go. And so what I've heard is 54 tops, number one, Ted Williams, since I already have the 250, 53 tops, uh, Campanella or 51 Bowman, 69 Bench or Ryan, 53 Bowman, Color, Pee Wee Reese. Hey, that's a good jumping off point. So see, I'd, and what I want you to do is tell me like, okay, I'm going after, I, I looked at all of them and I really want to go after this one. I'd love to hear where you land on that. That would be great. Awesome. Um, Just email you basically where I, where I land. Is that the best? I'm going to text you. Okay, cool. Uh, I have so many guys, phone numbers and I'm just going to add you to my, but it's funny. I have a really good client that friend of mine that's named Adam Hall also. So I'm going to have to distinguish between the two of you <laughs> so that I make sure that I, uh, it, it's weird when you sent me an email, I'm like, is that my butt? No, no, that's different. This is somebody different, you know? If, if uh, you call me Adam Hall too or something like that, I will not be offended. In the <laughs> no, I won't do that to you. But uh, first of all, and Adam, I sincerely mean this. I appreciate you in, enjoying the content. I don't do this. I do do it because I love it, but <clears throat> I really do it to hopefully help someone else. And hopefully that you have done that. that. You have done that in spades, Mike. You have helped me in spades. You and other YouTubers as well, but. You've helped me a lot. So thank you again. Well, I'm going to get running. We are recording this on a Monday. This will air on Wednesday if you're listening to it on release day. But uh, believe it or not, I'm doing a live show in about 45 minutes. So uh, I got to get ready for that. But man, Adam, thank you so much. Please, guys, give me feedback down below. Uh, if you want to hear more of this kind of stuff, I love having conversations with collectors. It's one of my favorite things. And I don't really call them interviews because 
I talk a lot too. Like it's, it's meant to be a conversation. And uh, so I appreciate your patience with me. And I was having some technical glitches in the middle of it. I don't know, like I would freeze, I think, or something. My internet was being really annoying in the moment, but it should be okay. So Adam, thank you so much, man. Really, really appreciate it. You are most welcome. Thank you so much. I, I had a, a wonderful time and, and uh, I'm looking forward to the future. All right. Well, thanks everybody for watching. Thanks for listening wherever you are out there. Really appreciate it. Uh, have a great week and don't forget to keep collecting. See you later.